everyone, it's Chloe, and I'm so excited to share something fabulous with you, Vogue's first ever global fashion community, Vogue Club. Our members get to mingle with Vogue editors, yes, including me, and fellow fashion enthusiasts at exclusive events around the world. And that's just the start. Membership opens doors to the fashion industry, bringing you expert career advice and insider style and beauty tips. What are you waiting for? Head over to Vogue.com membership to join. And here's a little treat. Use code TRT20 and snag 20% off your membership. That's TRT20 for 20% off your ticket to Vogue Club. Are you in? This is The Run Through with Vogue. I'm Chloe Mal. And I'm Choma Nardi. Choma! I feel Hi. so lonely in the studio. I know, I miss you. Tell us everything. What's happening in Paris? Well, you kind of ease into Paris. It's never as insane as as New York. So, um, you know, you sort of the first day was the highlight was Vaquera and they're a New York brand. And they were part of this new wave of young designers in New York who were kind of kind of have come up in the last few years. They were part of the CBFF as well. Um, And they just have this young, fresh energy. They look up to the likes of Vivian Westwood and they have that kind of punk spirit. So they're really fun. And then you have Dior, which is always a big moment. Different from Vaquera. Very different from Vaquera. Oh my God, the Dior. I love the Paris print dress. Yeah, right? The map of Paris. Yeah. I think Dior's always a moment. It's kind of the first big show of the week. Happens during the day. It's usually at the Tuileries. And the look was very, very old school. It was sort of a nipped waist, uh, you know, almost could have been the wardrobe for Anna Darmus as Marilyn Monroe and blonde. Yeah, I mean, I think we've been seeing a lot of kind of classic lady chic clothes coming back. There were lots of lady bags uh, too, um, which which is interesting. And um, it was just, there wasn't that much evening wear. It feels like a lot of designers are going back, are really kind of, Thinking about going back to reality, thinking about clothes that are truly chic. Recession-proof clothing. Recession-proof, yeah. And I think we saw that at Prada too, you know, very pared back, minimal, referencing uniforms at Prada, nurses' uniforms, military uniforms, Hmm. um, and very kind of sophisticated ladylike shapes. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens next? Saint Laurent was obviously completely different. It was a strong shoulder, a pencil skirt, big, big oversized blazers, very 80s. Yeah. All right. So what else are you excited about before you leave? Well, I'm really excited to see what Balenciaga does. Oh, yeah. Everyone's um, very keyed up about that, right? Yeah. I mean, they, from what we, well, obviously from the interview with Demna, we know that it's going to be a lot more pared back. It's going to be a lot more intimate. Right. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, always excited about Chanel. I think that's going to be a big. I'm really excited to see Esther Manis, oh, our friends. Our Esther friends, Manis. such cutie pies. <laughs> I love them. My favorite soon to be newlyweds. <sighs> yeah, yeah. I think that they're showing on the fourth. Um, and we recently called them up, didn't we, Chloe? Um, her name is Esther Manis. Mm-hmm. His name is Balthazar de la Pierre. They're a couple. They're totally adorable. They finish each other's sentences and smile and giggle and they look at each other and it's just it's such it was actually really fun to interview them. And they seem so in love. And um we kind of really wanted to be friends with them, right? Oh I mean Chum and I were just giggling the whole time. It was very endearing. 
It really was. And, you know, I was incredibly surprised to find out that they'd met 11 years ago. In fashion school. school. Yeah, in fashion school. He was studying graphic design, I think. Right. It was 11 years ago, so it was so long time ago. (laughs) Um, And we met and we fall in love in the same time, I mean. Yeah. And (laughs) And we decided to work together but in the shadow I mean because I started fashion design and Balthazar started to help me I mean yes in the shadow because he did my my print my my picture everything I mean you Mm. can explain maybe yeah basically we were just like two students helping each other on projects so Esther was also like giving advice on graphic and books design and that kind of stuff so there are a few things I love about them first of all I love that their label is young I mean they just basically just started. They started in 2019. And um, they're already known as pioneers for making size inclusive clothes, which, as we know, isn't the big, the thing here in Paris or isn't very common in Paris. Yeah. I mean, Esther said it was it just got frustrating creating clothes for only one size, which was, you know, a size two model mannequin and not the luxurious curves that she herself has. Maybe you can explain big again. I, mean, I don't know. Yeah, because basically you spend five years in school to design on small and skinny girl, and it's yeah, like in size thirty six in French thirty eight. Yeah. So I think for you it's like it's size like two or size like right. size yeah. or maximum sample size, size or straight yeah. size. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, why I'm spending all my uh, time and money and everything <laughs> to design for yeah. someone which is not like me. Oh, and another thing I love is that she uses uh, not just herself as a fit bottle, but Baltazar too. They're uh, not just size inclusive; they are gender inclusive, fluid. They they share each other's clothes. Esther, I heard you were your own fit model. Me? Yeah, yeah I heard you. You were the first. You were the original fit model. You dressed. You yeah, made the the samples on yourself. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Esther is the first model, but also it's kind of. It's because I'm super uh, curvy, of course. But if something, if a clothes fits me, it's a good uh, news. Oh, it's a really good news. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's why we try only. But we also try sometimes on Balthazar. But you don't want to <laughs> really laugh about that. But it's really cool to see like some laces on Balthazar. I mean, if, if someone <laughs> stole our hard drive. There will be yeah. a lot of just weird my, pictures. On just my phone. Yeah. Yeah. Like but, yeah, yeah. but also because we are really, really different with Balthazar. I'm small and really curved, and Balthazar is really tall and really thin. So, I mean, we are completely opposite. So it's really cool to see the different balance between us. And after, of course, we try on real, Model, uh, real yeah. yeah. On proper models. On girls. Yeah. Yeah. But first, it's just, us. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that made me smile. Another thing I love is their collections are made from sustainable materials. It will be ninety uh, percent yeah. of leftover. And so we are finding pieces of clothes like fabric on a lot of materials, and we are basically designing with them in front of us. So we don't need a specific color. We don't like ask to suppliers. We need that kind of red. We need that kind of stuff. We just okay. There is this available. What can we do uh, with it? Yeah, it was interesting to me because it's kind of the reverse of how you would think it would work, that they work with the colors and the patterns that are available rather than creating or requesting new things. I mean, it's very smart. 
Totally. And I think personally, my favorite part of talking to them was when they told us about their upcoming show this week. It's called For Better or For Worse, and it's based on their love story. So their show this week is going to be wedding themed, basically. They're basically planning their wedding. Oh, my God. The way we squeal when we hear them say this. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's really a collection about Esther and I. And because it's a, it's about the wedding. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> you got and us. Yeah. You got us at that. When is because the wedding? This well, on, uh, where is the wedding? In Belgium. Yeah. But, so, we have a personal <laughs> wedding in, in this summer. In the countryside. In the countryside. And we have... Uh, a kind, a kind of An official wedding professional, yeah, official and professional wedding during the Paris Fashion Week because we decided to work for the, this collection around this idea, idea of wedding. So oh it's really God. so. Wait, is he going to see your like Esther? Is Balthazar going to see your wedding dress before the wedding day? How does that yes, work? Because we're designing together. <laughs> <the dress. laughs> no, now you're almost upset. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're going to look beautiful. Is it in the show? Is your dress, is is there a version of your dress in the show? That, that, that's a question. That's a question. We because we, de- we designed for the show like seven or eight or nine Wait. really wedding dress, like white ones, etc. And Balthazar told me all the time, okay, maybe this one. Maybe this one. So... <laughs> Maybe, but I, I, I don't know yet. Okay, I cannot wait to see the wedding dresses in their collection. March 4th, you can check it out on Vogue.com and I'll be there in person. The run-through will be back in just a moment. I'm excited to tell you about Fat Mascara, an award-winning podcast hosted by two beauty journalists who share their insider access to the beauty industry. Twice weekly, hosts Jessica Matlin and Jennifer Sullivan talk candidly about beauty, news, trends, and the latest products and treatments. You can expect industry gossip, unfiltered product reviews, and revealing conversations with brand founders, makeup artists, perfumers, dermatologists, and more. Plus, Jess and Jen get their high-profile guests like Victoria Beckham and Tracy Ellis Ross to open up about their relationships with beauty culture. Fat Mascara is the beauty industry unfiltered. New episodes drop every Wednesday and Friday. Listen on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with the run-through. And we actually had a really great conversation with Olivier Ostang, who is the creative director of Belmer. Was that pronunciation good? Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Belmer is an old school heritage French brand started by Pierre Belmer right after the war. And there is this iconic new look of the sort of the strong suited woman that Christian Dior really pushed forth and also Pierre Belmer and... Olivier also makes very strong clothing that's it's very decorated. It's very much for a strong woman going out in the evening. Embellished, pearl encrusted, rhinestones. I guess his show this week was really inspired by Jolie Madame. And can you explain a little bit about what Jolie Madame is? Because when he mentioned it, 
I actually wasn't aware of what it was. I, I can't say I know much, but I think that after the war, there was this real push for women to, women had been working during the war, they'd become empowered a lot because a lot of the men were fighting. And so it was more of a push to go from house dresses to women being out and about. They were wearing strong suiting. It was a tailored nipped waist and sort of a full skirt, but pleated and felt professional and appropriate sort of armor for any situation. What's interesting is that when when we think about the format of shows, because I think um, Olivier has been a real trailblazer when it comes to shaking up the format of shows, you know, he's done huge shows that are like concert affairs and he's Yeah, didn't he take over the Stade de France for his uh, 10 year anniversary? Yeah. Yeah, he goes there, you know, and he invites all of all of his like big celebrity friends including Cher who walked the runway and Doja Cat who performed um and, but but this show was much smaller, more intimate, much more like a salon kind of experience, probably closer to what um the original Pierre Balmain would have done. Um, so this was quite different for him, for Olivier. So aside from the show, we spoke to Olivier about his relationship with Beyonce. Yes, they are friends. In fact, they've collaborated for years. Um, she recently wore one of his looks for one of her many Grammy looks. He also spoke to us about learning about his biological parents. And and if you get the chance, I highly recommend his documentary, Wonder Boy, because that explores everything around that and um it's, it's very moving he also talked pretty candidly about the racism that he's experienced um in the fashion industry here in paris um so we had a really really we went there great conversation we went there hi hi olivia how are you good very grateful you could find the time to do this. We're excited to talk to you. I absolutely have to ask you about the Beyonce look that you created and also the the relationship that you've had with her over the years. I think you, being such a music fan and obviously a fan of, of pop culture, you identified you know her as a fashion icon perhaps before many of the other fashion houses. And I think you have a real eye, similar with Doja Cat. I mean, now she's the girl of the moment. Tell us about that making that look and also about your relationship with her because I, I know that you guys have a really solid um, friendship. I mean, it's pure love. You know? <laughs> like, it's just like, you know, it's someone that I was listening in my bedroom when I was so young. I think we we close to the same age, but obviously me, I was, you know, in, in the high school or whatever, like my early high school, starting my high school and listening to her music when... I didn't know if I wanted to become a lawyer or fashion designer, you know, and being like obsessed with her music in my five square meter uh, bedroom close to Bordeaux in the south of France. And of course, you know, today where I can tell you she's my friend and we worked a lot together and it's beautiful because we share the same perfectionism and we share the same ambition that our, our work and our platform and she's my muse. She's the one that inspired me when I sketch. Tell me a bit about the first time you met you met her and how you connected. I know I loved reading about your Coachella fitting and your grandmother calling and saying, <laughs> are you kidding? <laughs> I mean, I met her, like I think, seven years ago from the tour that she was doing in Paris. We had a great connection. And after I went to the Met Gala at one point and we, we, she came to my after party and we spent like hours talking and after we worked on the second tour and after we we were on Coachella, we were there, we, were, we spent a lot of time together back and forth between Paris and LA. 
But yeah, the story of my grandma was really fun because it was the birthday, I think, of my granddad and I forgot. And you know, it's the timing in between LA and Paris. We have nine hours difference. And my grandma called me and she's like, oh, what is, there's so much noise around you. I'm like, grandma, I'm just like rehearsing, re- doing a rehearsal right now. And she's like, oh, I hear someone singing. Such an incredible voice. Where are you? And I'm like, grandma, it's Beyonce singing. She's like, I love, she has a great, great voice, but please never forget your granddad. I mean, it was his birthday. <laughs> and I'm like, I love that. I mean, that's why I love my family because my first photo shoot for Vogue US, I tell you, I was wearing a t-shirt that was really open. And I think it was during winter that I was taking this picture. It was my first picture for Vogue. It was in 2011. I sent, you know, the Vogue to all my family. They called me. And the first thing that they told me, instead of saying, what the, mm, you are in Vogue? No, they told me, but you're almost naked. Like, you're not going to get cold. <laughs> that was the first reaction, you know, from grandparents. I'm like, did you understand that I became the barman DA? That is my first picture in Vogue America. And the only thing that you have in mind is just, I'm going to, I'm going to get cold. <laughs> I you think know? that's important. <laughs> yeah, frankly. <laughs> Well, tell us a bit about your family life. I mean, I watched your documentary and literally I was in in tears. You know, I know that, you, you know, you've your your life is a movie. Um, so, so tell us a bit about like your family life, your upbringing for those listeners who don't know what an incredible story you have. You know, I come from a really humble family, great, great parents that loved me from the beginning. My parents are my adoptive parents because I come from orphanage uh ran really close to bordeaux i didn't know my origin until a couple of years ago when i started to do my documentary wonder boy that is on netflix it was an interesting i would say life because not knowing where you come from you know where you want to go even more because so um, i come from this really great humble family that loved me gave me so much love but I have nothing to do in fashion with fashion, you know. So they were pushing me for being to be a lawyer um, from day one. And I really thought that I, should, I became a lawyer. I would become a lawyer. And I didn't, obviously. But they gave me a lot of love. And until one point where I said, you know, I need to know where I come from. And so I started to do my research. And I discovered that I'm half Ethiopian, half Somalian. My Bajikov mother is Somalian. My Bajikov father is Ethiopian. Uh, through my search, I discovered that my mom was 14 years old and maybe not um, consentant, you know. Um, so it's been really tough, you know, because because I was obsessed by knowing where I come from. You know, when you spend 30 years of your life not knowing where from, where you're from, you know, it's it's obviously a question that grows in you. And with all the racism that I went through since I was a kid, because, of course, today, there's so much racism still and we still fight for against. But the thing that for me has been really tough was my the racism that I went through when I was a kid and still in fashion at the beginning. But imagine when you're a kid and you just at school and people look at you and just like put you down, you know, and call you bastard because my parents are white and I'm black. Or, I mean, I went through so much racism when I was a kid. And when I started, let's say, fashion industry as well, but, you know, there was non, no way to talk about racism in, in fashion neither, you know. And this is a, has been a huge frustration for me. And when the door of fashion opened 
And I would say that I tried to open those doors as well because I was, you know, trying to explain, you know, I'm the only French black designer in in French luxury in 2011, you know. And when I was trying to explain that I think this is important to, uh, to talk about this topic, it was really hard for me to have people um, supporting the conversation. Because at that time, if you start to open the door of this conversation, you start to re-question the entire fashion industry. And you start to question the casting, you start to question you know, the teams, you start to question the campaigns, you start to question. And me, I was the one, you know, because I was just like, but can I be myself? Can I talk about who I am? And you know, it was hard because in 2011, like it was definitely really hard for people to let me speak. And years after years, you know, I changed my casting on my own. I did like many actions, you know, and the fashion industry has changed. And you cannot think that what happened in 90s is this, or in 2000 is the same that's gonna happen in 2010, you know? And I was, I felt like a responsibility to be part of these changes, you know? And I fought from the beginning until that, you know, today I feel, we all feel free to talk about it without getting like insults, you know, from some people. Do you think the conversation has moved on? I mean, it's still an issue everywhere, obviously in the fashion industry, I think it's, but, you know, I hope that the conversation is evolving. Do you think things have moved forward in in France? I think it's changing, but I think there's a lot of fake in all those changes. And I, I'm sad to say, but I think America has evolved much faster than, than France in that sense. There are still many, many, a lot of problems in America, so I'm not saying there are none, where in France, the country, which is my country, and obviously that I love, but there is a reality where there's a lot of snobism in France. I don't know if snobism is the right word. I think we would say snobbery, but I actually really prefer snobbery. Snobbery, sorry. <laughs> there's so much snobbery that they just don't want to mention the problem because they keep thinking, oh, there is never problems here. Oh, no, we never face racism in France. Oh, no, 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 no. They keep saying that, you know, which is not true. And that's the problem of the country. But I don't think there is only racism. There is as well the obsession of expertise slash age. So that's why when I started Barman at 24, you know, I could see all those people saying, let's see, you know, he's going to learn. And like sometimes my interview was more about teaching me than actually listening to what I have to say. So it was not really a conversation. It was just like more, we're going to teach you who you're going to be. And there is one thing that I want to learn is from people that have expertise, obviously. But there is one thing that I don't want to hear is that you're going to create the picture of what you want me to be. Because this is something that is, there is no freedom in that. And they put you in a box and they want you to become that. And this is something that I refuse to be. France is my strength because there's so much incredible heritage that I'm talking about. And... And this is something amazing from French houses, from the country, the culture. But I think sometimes heritage can become really heavy because they feel that they need to repeat what they have learned. And what I do is my show, it's a show that is about taking the heritage of the past 
being the black boy of today and say, this was in 1945. I take the DNA of 1945, which if I was in 1945, I could never even have that podcast with you. But basically telling, I'm taking the DNA of 1945, bringing to, to the world today and say, this was Bauman, but with my hand, become this Bauman. And this is really important. And I don't believe neither of people that just keep talking about future and future and future. I mean, the future has nonsense with if there is no past. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, speaking of the past, um, where was your, where did you get your love of fashion? You know, tell us how you fell in love with fashion. My grandma first, because she was obsessed with fashion. She was always, you know, having those uh, trench coats, you know, like the great makeup, Chanel bags, like she had Saint Laurent, she had Barman, like vintage, you know, it was really interesting to see her wardrobe, you know, she was so obsessed with beauty and fashion. She was the only one from the family being in love with fashion. And she made me love fashion from a young age. She was the one to bring me to do shopping, you know, when I was such a baby, you know, and, I, and I, she made me clearly love fashion, which at one point my mom told her, thank you, because now you just want to spend money on fashion and clothes. <laughs> and after, you know, she was buying me books. And so the, I start to discover the history of, you know, Coco Chanel. Uh, I start to discover the history of Monsieur Saint Laurent and Cristobal Balenciaga, like Karl Lagerfeld, you know. So I was just like obsessed and curious about, you know, all those incredible people that build houses and build the world of fashion. But I didn't really think that I could become a fashion designer because, you know, sometimes in, in your life, you don't know if your passion can become your job. At one point, my parents, they, they asked me to go to a shrink because I was so lonely and always in my bedroom sketching that I thought that, you know, I was just maybe, you know, I had a, a prime of communication. It's not that I have a prime of communication. It's just I, I love dreaming. And when I sketch, I just dream and I just escape. I don't know. It's my human nature. You know, it's who I am. But um. And I keep doing that in a way because I love just working in my house or in my office until night or the weekend and just sketch and create my collection on my own and just being dreaming, you know, just dreaming about about a collection. Speaking of Carl, you had a friendship with Carl. Carl also was at the House of Balmain once upon a time. Tell me a bit about your um, friendship with Carl and how you met. Carl Lagerfeld, just because we haven't said his last name. <laughs> I know it's Carl to us, but... <laughs> There's only one Carl in fashion. <laughs> I mean, I wish I could say it's a friendship. I mean, we obviously knew each other, but I mean, maybe not as best friends, unfortunately. But uh, I have to say that I, I have met him many times and and he always been nice. He always been really supportive and always been giving me the, the good words, you know, show me the direction. But, um, you know, I think... Carl is one of those men in fashion that made me love fashion, even before fashion. Carl has been a guide in my mind, even if I didn't know him, of why I love fashion. I love fashion because he created timelessness. I love fashion because he he defined his own rules of what is luxury. I think what I loved about Carl is that I think he was a man that was tough on people as much as he was tough on himself. His loyalty to his team is something that shows you the persona that he was. Because when you have a team that stay with you for more than two, three, four, five, six, ten years, you know what it means? It means that you're a good person. You're, you, are, you have a good soul. And Carl 
had a great soul because his team stayed loyal to him. For people who don't know, will you just tell us what it means to be the artistic director or creative director? And, and what does is, what is your day-to-day schedule look like and your routine? Basically, to me, being a creative director, it's to be a leader of your own rules and your own DNA and your own codes and your own vision of fashion uh, and imagery. And I think that's what, for me, is being creative director. You have your own imagery, you have your own aesthetic. And you push to the maximum until that people will recognize something and say, oh, this is Barman, this is Chanel, this is George, this is, you know, like, I think this is the beauty of creating a DNA, a strong DNA. For me to say what means creative director is to create a business based on an aesthetic that you own, you're the leader of that aesthetic, but at the same time, you're a leader of a team and you're going to fight for your team till the end because they're going to be with you supporting you so your team becomes your family and that's being a creative director so what do you do when you're what do you do for fun how do you have work-life balance you know i mean i mean people keep asking me do you enjoy life i do enjoy my life i mean my life not has to be based only on holidays and dreaming of being on the beach i mean i keep my smile every morning that i wake up and i go to see my team You know, I'm so lucky as a person because I love the people that I'm surrounded by. Um, I love, they are my my family. You know, it's another adoptive family to me. And I just love my work. And I love building dreams, you know. I think my partner is Barman right now, you know. And I mean, as every partner, you know, until that you you have the smile when you wake up, I mean, it will be your partner and you will share the bed. The moment that you know that there is something that goes wrong, you know, you, you change partner or you change life. But until that, I have this smile when I wake up in the morning and I want to share more challenges. I mean, and I have the freedom to be myself. This is definitely a relationship that I love. I mean, I was I was kind of horrified to hear that a few years ago, you, you suffered a really, you know, awful fire fireplace explosion that left you with burns you know how was the recovery for you ah um it was hard it was hard because i mean i think you told me my life is a movie it's definitely a movie if you think about it because you know i woke up in the morning and i just was completely burned my face my my upper body like it was terrible um I think I was feeling more ashamed because I was like, what well, people's gonna say. And I always, you know, I'm at Barman, I'm always really like trying to be a superhero and not fail, not, never failing, never falling, always being on top of my game. And this time I felt like so weak, you know, so fragile. And so my doctor that was treating my burns. He saw me crying in his in his room and he's like, Olivier, but why are you crying? Explain me why. I'm like, because I always thought I was a superhero. And he looked at me and he said, there is no superhero without scars. Wow. What a poetic doctor. Mm. I think he was one of the best doctors I had in my life. And I believe in destiny, you know, and I think what happened to me was for a reason. Because maybe whatever God or whoever like is checking on me say, you know, 
you need to stop and realize the chance and the luck that you have in your life, the happiness that you have and the joy and you should enjoy every day. And don't forget that there's nothing guaranteed. So enjoy even more every second of your life because tomorrow everything can stop. And so when I came back to the office, I saw my team because, you know, I was wearing a beanie because all my head was burned, like my ears were burned. I was wearing a turtleneck because my neck was burned. And I think, you know, I was just like, I was hiding from the world. Actually, not a weakness, but a new strength, a new sense of beauty, a new sense of acceptance. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Moments like that make you just rethink your, the way you look at the world, right? And the way you look at your own life and your mortality. And I think so many people have that moment of when you're young, you feel so invincible, right? And it takes a moment like that to really stop you in your tracks. It's, it's tough because fashion, they teach you to become so, what I would say, perfect in a way. You know, they put you in that box and you need to behave in that way. And, and with social media as well, you know, you need to be perfect in so many ways, you know, and responding to people of always your happiness, you know, and, and I think that's what I think hurt me the most because in moment of sadness, I tried to pretend to be happy. It was hard. It was. Well, I think you need a moment to process something like that. No, yeah. you know, and I think you've been, you've spoken very candidly since and, and we appreciate your openness because it can't be easy. They told me I've been really lucky because they told me you could have died from this accident. And so, again, I really thank God. Or, But, you know, we are here today and enjoying life together. And, and there's much more to come. So it's great. We love how you always surprise us. So we are yes. excited for we're excited. Thank for you so come. much, Olivier. This yeah. has been such a treat. It's been really, it's been really great. Thank you. Thank you so much, really. The shows in Paris are always incredible because they're in just such spectacular venues. In New York, it's like at some old warehouse that used to have dead cow, you know, hooves. And uh, in Paris, it's at like the Petit Palais. <laughs> I know, I know. It is, there's a grandeur about it that doesn't get old. I mean, just walking, you know, across the Tuileries or anywhere in Paris, you're suddenly like, wow, you know, there's so much history here. It's pretty exciting, not going to lie. And it never gets old. I'm always like, oh, I'm in Paris. You should do. You should feel <laughs> that way. Put baguette under my arm. <laughs> well, Fendi baguette. The Run Through with Vogue is a Condé Nast production. I'm Chloe Mal. And I'm Shermanati. And we will see you next week. A bientôt. listeners, Chloe here. If you need to stay as up to date with the latest developments and innovations in the luxury industry as I do, you need to dive into Vogue Business. It's your ticket to a global perspective on fashion and beauty, delivering exclusive insights that will give you the edge in this competitive dynamic industry. Just visit VogueBusiness.com today and use the code RUN20 at checkout to join the Vogue Business community. That's VogueBusiness.com promo code RUN20. Don't miss out.